0: among us. And if you believe in His message, if you believe in what He did on the cross for you, He saves you. That that salvation is a big change. It's a big difference. It's a new creation. Believing on Him, calling out on His name. It's not just a An association change. It's not just a Sunday morning schedule change. It's a a true internal heart level spiritual change. Something totally new has begun. God has declared, and we saw this in the first part of Philippians, Philippians 1, that, that He will now begin a work that He'll bring all the way to completion. That though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed. Day by day, a process, an amazing, miraculous, God-induced process has begun. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God being like a seed. You think of a seed, and it can be very, very tiny. I watched a YouTube thing about this guy who just bought fruit at the market and then took it home and planted the seeds. And he had all these incredible dragon fruit plants and stuff coming up. And the seeds from a lot of those different fruit trees are just minuscule. But you hold that seed and you see in it unlimited potential. The tiny thing can grow up. The dragon fruit plant in particular has this weird sort of cactus look to it and it gets bigger and bigger and you build this grain for it to kind of grow up. And it produces these fruit which then have hundreds and hundreds of more seeds all from that tiny little black look like a sesame seed. The kingdom of God that is in you, that is taking the same process and bringing it to bear in your life. And God begins, and it seems so small, it seems so um, almost maybe unnoticeable, but it is growing, it is changing, it is taking over, and it is creating in you life, not just for you, but for all the world. The the idea of the seed in the kingdom of God is that it becomes this plant and that all these animals can come into to eat from it, live under it, the, the picture of Israel as Israel was supposed to be, the picture of Nebuchadnezzar, as he kind of was, but it's this idea that this tree becomes this massive growth. From it comes life, fruit, shelter. You're supposed to be this, this thing that reflects Jesus Christ out into the world, that he becomes <coughs> not merely your Savior, but also your Lord. Your Lord. And let the the terrifying truth of this next sentence hit home. He becomes your example. Take a moment to compare your life to this point with what you know about Jesus' life. Of course, right? Like it's not even close. Of course. But it's worth doing. Take a moment to compare your life, the impact of your life to this point. Compare it to what you know. I don't know what you know. Just take whatever it is you know. What you know about the life of Jesus Christ. Your example. He is the light of the world like a blazing sun that never sets. His, his imprint has been left on the world. And we are called by God, commanded by God, to bring that same presence, that same existence, that same love to everyone in the world. What he, he calls us to, in the kind of grounding verse for us as we study the back half of Philippians, it's Philippians 2, 14 through 16, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, okay. <laughs> We've all lost. All right, well, let's get back up and keep walking. But you, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world. Seriously so we call it, shine brightly, because that's the, the idea. <laughs> see? You shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ I might be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Amen. Amen. But that picture is a pretty big picture. It's a heavy expectation set. You show up on day one and they give you that as what they expect from you. Oh man, you'll be crushed. God is calling for everything you got. It's like war. You go into the military and you go into a war zone. And yes, there's still like war crimes and morality or whatever, but they require of you everything. Obviously all of your time, obviously all of your attention, but even all of your bow and all of your flesh. It's on the table. (coughs) And he has given us a picture of, of Christianity in the same vein, that it's all now his So again, let me ask you, is your life matching up to that expectation that you would shine as light to the world? Are you shining brightly? Are you working hard? Maybe there's a moment where your pride sort of swells up and you try to defend yourself. Okay, let that pass away. And ask yourself honestly between you and the Lord, are you really giving this your best Are you really working hard? Are you really shining brightly? And let me ask an even more damning question. Do you even care? Uh, Do you even want to shine brightly? When's the last time that somebody had to pat you on the back and buy you a hamburger to cheer you up because of how down you were about your ineffectiveness for the kingdom. Has there ever been a time when you look at your life and at what you hope will happen for God in His kingdom and you just cry like Jesus wept over Jerusalem? calling us, not merely to work, but also to will, to want to change the world, to want to shine. Oh man, hey, I'm please, I'm preaching to me. This is not like me trying to condemn. But I need us to see the grand aspect of God's command for our lives. So that you can feel, just for a moment, the weight Of what it is to be a Christian. Because if you'll actually take upon yourself in a moment of humility. The full weight of it and realize that it will crush you. Then you're ready to hear the foundation for this. This grand command that we have. Because 14 through 16 is talking about shining brightly. But we have 12 and 13 before that. I need you to need these verses. So let's read it together. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says... Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Be confused. It's kind of a letdown. I build up like the entirety of what we're called to in Christianity and I tell you that these two verses are going to give you the ability to actually like walk it out. And then you read something like this and you just say, "What now?" because he says, work out your own salvation with fear, and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what do we do? He says do, for God does. What? Now, if you're like me and you read stuff like this, you're you're confused and you've got to try and understand it as well as you can because these words have been given to you. This is God's gift, His word to you. He intends for it to make sense. He intends for it to be useful for life and godliness. And when you run into something that can seem... Confusing, there's a couple of different things you should do. A, say a prayer and read it again. C what's happening here. Understand it as well as you can. Do your homework. Don't just glaze over. B, I would really highly recommend you get a study Bible. The ESB study bible, I know I've talked about it before, it's not cheap, it's a brick. But if you get it and (laughs) just drop it on the desk somewhere in your home, you'll know that when you do have a question, you can go and see if there's a helpful answer there. It's great. And the reason that it's great is because generally what it'll do is it'll direct you to other parts of Scripture in order to understand Scripture. And the hope is that you swim in Scripture enough that when you run into something confusing, there will be other parts of Scripture that will start to play in your mind in order to help you understand. It. And again, D or whatever letter I'm on. Also, talk to somebody. You know, we're is a community project. Understanding the Scriptures and applying them to one another. Talk to somebody, not necessarily me. I mean, I'm available, but let me be kind of like option four. Go to your community group leaders. Go to your friends. Talk to some people. See what you can figure out. And then, okay. The rest of Scripture does speak to some of the difficulty we see in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Or, how we go about the Christian life. Is it on me? And I'm supposed to feel... A lot of anxiety and or pride? Or is it on him, and I'm kind of tempted to not really do much, to just sort of be a passive partner, waiting on him to just sort of do something? Well, I don't think either of those are really that helpful. So what does the rest of the Bible say? Well, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now, I love, I wish that we talked to each other like that. This guy has got his hand so firmly on the gospel that when he talks about God, he's not able to just say God. He starts talking about God in all these different ways. The sentence actually is just saying, May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's a good sentence. But this guy is so gospel-focused that it's just erupting out. But don't miss it. He's saying, May God equip you, arm you, with every good thing, that you may go and do His will. Then it says, Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever you ever and ever. Amen. Again, He's equipping you to go and to do while He is doing it. Him doing and it's you doing for His work. Ephesians 2.10 says, if you're ever in a conversation with somebody and you want to tell them what Christians believe, boy, just the best place to go is Ephesians 2. Just start reading 1 through 10. I mean, of course, you go to John 3. You can go to all kinds of places throughout the Bible. But I want you to have in your head Ephesians 2. If you can just get to Ephesians 2 and start reading, you're going to hear a gospel presentation. And he says at the end of that gospel presentation, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So which is it? It's His workmanship or it's our good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them Okay, but it's, it is saying both. It is, it's calling on a great deal of effort and work. The idea that God has laid out for you a daily task list. These good works that he has prepared beforehand. That you should walk in them. But then he also calls us his workmanship. Again, it feels very passive. Like you're a painting that he's done. Or a sculpture. A robot that he's going to flip on. But again, all through scripture. A lot of the wisdom literature in Proverbs and Psalms. It says stuff like... The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Hey, you get your stuff ready, you do, you work, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Can I tell you, I stand up here and preach, and I hope, whether it's pride or it's like gospel vision, I hope for incredible things from sermons. I really do think this is what's going to change the world, that's that. Because what? Put this stuff together, I stand up here, I say it. Big whoop. It's dead. Unless the Lord breathes through it. Unless the Spirit gives it life. Unless God speaks through His Word. Who cares what I'm saying to you? And even who cares what the Bible says? Unless it is God's Word. The Holy Spirit comes blowing through like fire. and changes the hearts of people. There's some both that's happening. And there's a miracle to both. there's a little bit of mystery in both. But it's there in the scriptures. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Again, Paul. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. If you know Paul's story, he wasn't one of the eleven that were walking around with Jesus. It was twelve in the Jews, you know. So he wasn't one of those eleven that were walking around with Christ for three years. He wasn't. He's called an apostle because Christ actually appeared to him at another time. He talks about himself as to one untimely born. God had to appear to him at a different time. And when he appeared to Paul, Paul was actually a persecutor of the church. And he says that here I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Now, if you just put a full stop right there, you just put a period right there, we get that. No, starting from the bottom. Now I'm here. I worked harder than any of those apostles, and now I stand before you as the apostle Paul. No, 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 no. I worked harder than any of them. So it wasn't I, but the grace of God that is within me. Now, we understand proud sort of chest thumping, right? And I think in Christianity we built this sort of idea of like stand still and let the Lord just kind of do what he's going to do. Probably involves a pastor or something, and maybe I have to give some money. But I just sort of <laughs> sit still. That's not what's being described here, though, is it? He's saying, I I sinned. God converted me, and now I'm effective, and I'm more effective. But of course, it's not me. It's God who works through me. Last place we'll look, we looked at Paul and all these other writers. Let's look at Peter. He says, As each of us has received a gift, use it. Serve one another. Listen, be good stewards of God's very grace. The one who speaks, as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves. As one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Speak and serve by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified. So you start putting this stuff together and you start to see this picture emerge. Of God saving us. Of God equipping us. Of God calling us and sending us, and of us desperately working, passionately working, blood, sweat, and tears, nights and weekends, working. God equipping us, he's he's given us the strength, and he's the one that does it, so that he gets the glory. Now, you can try to just sort of resolve all this in your head and say, oh, okay, you dingus. I I get it. It's actually this, A, B, and then C. It just sort of all fits together in your head. Well, listen. At the higher level, smarter people than you or me, smarter men, smarter women, have said that there is something in Scripture when you put God's divine sovereignty and man's real, authentic, actual human responsibility together that doesn't really come together in our mind. There is a little bit of mystery there. But so should there be. He's a holy God. Why do you think you can fit him in your little head? You? I always think this. I don't know how a TV works, and they don't always. Yeah. but I don't know how TV works and TVs usually work today is sort of the exception that proves the rule I'm thankful for days like today because maybe you'll be a little bit more thankful I certainly will be when I walk in next week and see again this place why are we allowed to worship here but I don't know how you plug in a thing or you press a button and all of a sudden the whole world, whatever you want just right there, I don't know how that works Why would I think I can understand divine sovereignty and human responsibility within the divine mind? I don't know that. So don't resolve it too quickly. Allow these things to be slightly mysterious. And then grab hold of what God has commanded us to do. Because he has some commands here. He does say, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and fear. And trembling, he says, "Not only is it in my presence, but it's more in my absence." He wrote this to a group of people that Paul helped to plant, and I'm glad he says that because we don't have access to the Apostle Paul. These guys, you know, they're sitting in Philippi and they've got the elders that were appointed, and you know, whatever. But they're hoping that Paul comes back, of course. And maybe you read through the New Testament and you're thinking to yourself, "Man, they had Paul and Peter and Timothy. We I mean, got." Nobody's happy about it. But this is what it says. Even in my absence, even without the presence of somebody like the Apostle Paul, you have Christ. And you are called to continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out the full implications of your salvation with fear and trembling. What he is not saying is take the imperfect salvation that's begun in you, and then work your way so that you're finally righteous. No, salvation is complete. I think the best illustration that I've heard—if you've heard a better one, tell me—and I'll use it another time. The best illustration I've heard is the idea of an adoption. You imagine somebody being adopted cross-culturally, and on the day the adoption is legal, that person is officially adopted. They have a new last name, they have a new home, they've got a new family, they're in somebody else's will, right? Legally, it takes the scratching of a pen, however long that takes, and it's done. But now, imagine that little five-year-old from somewhere else living in your home. That person is now legally part of your family, and yet that person is still culturally part of where they're from. They still like the same foods. They still speak the same language. They still smell the same smells. They still enjoy the same things they enjoy, and they don't necessarily enjoy the things you enjoy. And so while legally it happened immediately, it takes time for that person to eventually get and understand what kinds of things your new culture, their new culture, enjoys. There's going to be a moment where you have to present to them a grilled cheese. Say, hey, listen, I know this is new. It's going to blow your mind. It's possible that they won't like grilled cheese. Okay, you're still going to have to keep serving to them. Because they're wrong. They're (laughs) going to have to change and start to life. They're wrong, right? We know that. And then the illustration breaks down. Because culture to culture, there's not a real superiority necessarily. We know But there's not. But when we get adopted into God's family, there is a superiority. There is a right way and a wrong way. And our desires are still hooked into the wrong way. And while legally our salvation is complete in Christ the moment we believe, or even from before the foundation of the earth, it takes this constant daily work to move our hearts into alignment with the way things should be, with the way loves should be, with the way desires should be. And so we go about Working out our own salvation, the implications of it, fully conquering us, that we have to take every thought captive, that we have to rearrange every love within our heart, that we have to fight against every temptation towards things that God hates and we love, weeping over the fact that we love what he hates. And that full conquering on the internal is going to be matched by a constant use of you to fully conquer the external. Christianity is not just this sort of you and God pursuit, it's you and God or God through you to everybody else. And He has called you to go, go and speak this word, preach this gospel out to the whole world. And so there's going to be this progression there as well, working out your salvation and bringing the the good news, shining that light brightly out into a world that needs it, becoming more than a conqueror. And you do this, all this is based, you do this on that first word there, that therefore, which reminds us of what Christ has done. In the first part of Philippians 2, where he emptied himself, becoming a man. And then, dies. Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he paid a sinner's penalty, dying, and then rising up, rising up to the point that God has lifted him above every man in his name that is named on heaven and earth and under the earth, and every name, uh, every every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus. That work that took place 2,000 years before you were thought of. And even was planned and begun before the ages began. And that you are are putting your finger onto. That God is, is planting down into you. Now when we read this stuff. And I think the words fear and trembling start to kind of throw us. We have this idea that God is going to be like grilled cheese sandwiches. It's going to just be this constant delivery of things that are good and while that's true it doesn't always feel that way while that's true we do have to remember who it is we're dealing with fear and trembling doesn't seem to jive with being with a good father but Isaiah 66 says it really well when he says thus says the Lord heaven is my throne earth is my footstool what is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at the work. Yes, we have access through Christ to stand before the Father. That's what it means to be saved. It means to be reunited with the Father. And yet, He's still a holy God. He is still somebody that is great beyond our reckoning. He's holy. We should tremble to think that we stand before that God in that Holiness, the layers of separation between us and him before Christ in order to just keep us alive, in order that his holiness wouldn't break out and destroy the camp. If you can maintain a humility before the Father, if you can maintain a slight tremble when he speaks, then you don't have to fear anything else. That's the way this first word. Therefore, it doesn't much more presence. Work out your salvation in fear trembling. And then he says, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If I can have this view of him as high and lifted up, then I don't have to fear these other things. I can actually work. And over time, I will begin to will is good pleasure. There's a lot of fear that comes with the outcome of what you might attempt for, God. I want you to think about the last time you had the opportunity. If you're a Christian, and again, I know everybody's not, but if you're a Christian, and you have that duty to speak the gospel to people, I want you to think about the last time you were going to do evangelism. Meaning, just telling people who you are, and who Jesus is, and why they need him. Did you feel like, like you just had that did you feel like an overwhelming sense of confidence? The last time I did, it, I felt like a child. I know all kinds of stuff. By God's grace, I've had a lot of time to sit and read all kinds of stuff. There's stuff I can say. But which one? How? With what tone? Who is this person? As a stranger of angels and kind of thing. And the fear? Oh, you have been. You would not have been proud of your past. But you keep doing it. Why? Because though I am ineffective, God isn't. It is God who works in you to so work for His good pleasure. I don't have to fear the possible failing outcome. What is it that holds you back from achieving your purpose, for you achieving what God has divinely called you to? What is it that keeps you back? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of the work itself? Is it a fear of the fact that you just don't want it? Well, he says that he is going to build not just through you the work, he's also going to build in you a will. I want to change my house and make it more comfortable. I want to change my kids and make them more obedient. I want to change my bank account and make it fat. And I want to change myself and make me a little bit less fat. But once you get past some of those basic selfish wants, do I want to see people come to know Christ? Am I willing to believe to see churches planted? If I weep over my inability, my my lack of desire, I can come to this verse. And I can trust that right now I want to want, but I trust in a God who will, he's going to build. He, he works in me both to will and work for his good pleasure. There's a guy named John Piper, and he does a good job of kind of building out these sort of stories or histories of, of Christians. And there's just an unlimited number of stories out there of missionaries. And it's great to read. It's great to look into. There's missionary biographies of all kinds of great people. And I encourage you to go find them and read But he did this one sort of synopsis of this guy named George Mueller. But the U has the dots on it. So you're supposed to say it different. Forgive me. George Mueller or whatever. But he says about George Mueller that the guy built five orphanages. And by the time he had died, he had cared for 10,024 orphans. He did all this while preaching three times a week. And when he turned 70, (laughs) when he turned 70, he fulfilled a lifelong dream by becoming a missionary. (laughs) For the next 17 years. So starting at age 70, for the next 17 years, he traveled to 42 countries, preaching on an average of once a day to about 3 million people in total. If that's where we're headed, is there a part of you that's like, oh, yes, Lord? Or is there a part of you that's like, where's the exit? I'm trying to retire. I'm not trying to start something new at 7. At seventy, I want to start, you know, vacationing. I don't want to start missioning. But George Mueller is so helpful because though his life makes you tired to read about this is what he said about service of the Lord. George Mueller's own words. He said, I'm bound to state this. I do it with pleasure. My master has been to me a kind master. I've not served a hard master, and that is what I delight to show. He's telling you from the other side of that level of effort and desire that it's good. That God fulfills this promise to will and to work. He's going to work in you to will and to work His good prayer. You read through Psalm twenty-three, and in it, it's got all these incredible promises of how God's going to bless you. But don't miss the fact that He is He is leading you to these tables filled with food in the valley of the shadow of death. That He's He's leading you into fields to rest and by still pastures. As he's leading you on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's bringing you to do the good works that he's called you to do. And he's the one who's doing it. I'll just confess, I don't sleep on Saturday nights. Sleep some. I don't sleep well. Seven years of no church, I don't sleep well on Saturdays. Because I'm nervous about this. And it's just pride, it's a confession. I don't trust that he's going to do. I already confessed to you my evangelism. But when it happens, and I pray that it happens more and more, I just see that that though I'm called to it and I'm never going to stop it, I'm not gifted in it like some of my brothers are. If you look at my parenting, part of what my kids know best about my parenting is me apologizing for my parenting. It's just a regular asking for forgiveness from my children. And yet, while the fails are constant. I can humble myself to trust a God who can, who can preach to His people, who can speak in convincing evangelism, who can raise up the next generation, and the way that kind of bring it all together it says in Romans eleven thirty six. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. So as we continue to work our way through Philippians, we're going to see examples of how our lives should start to look. But before we begin, we have to continue to place all of the weight of these expectations on the proper foundation. The foundation where God says that he will, he will work to bring about this, this will and this work in our lives. And if He's going to do that, then the best place for you to get yourself ready for that is to be in His presence. To keep your eyes on this Holy Word. To tremble in His Word. So, get into His Word. Come back next week. Between now and next week. Try to crack open that Bible three times, five times, seven times. Spend some time with Him. You're not a prayer? Pray before meals. You pray before meals with your kids at night? Great. Pray for five minutes just get alone, get quiet for five minutes. Although, it's that hard. Just spend time with the And begin to watch. As you, as you meet Him, and begin to watch as He works through you to bring about His good pleasure. Let's pray. Lord and Holy Father, as we go through this series. We are not content to understand Bolivians better with our heads. You have commanded us to go and to shine brightly. We will only be content, Father, if at the end of this time, week after week, we are convicted to go and to do. The whole world needs to be totally retrod, regrown It needs to die and be resurrected. It needs your gospel message. Every soul that we've ever seen, Father, needs that gospel message. Will you please, Lord, convince us about who you are and what you called us to do. Will you please, Lord, bring us close so that we begin to have your desires and begin to do your work. pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.